Thank you for listening to this message from Waynesboro Free Methodist Church. Our mission is to multiply faithful followers of Jesus Christ. We hope this message helps you along your journey. Grab your Bibles. Exodus 33 is where I want you. That's the second book in the Bible. So if you want to start from the front and work your way back, that'd be really great. Exodus 33. Guys, there's a few things I want to go ahead and comment on. Uh, First, we have started our uh, boiler room ministry back up. Um, So last week we had Bruce and Joe down there interceding on our behalf before the Lord during this time. And uh, today, I think I saw Joyce, and I didn't know who else went down there today. I didn't see her. Okay, Um, so we have some individuals downstairs praying for you, uh, which I love. I love that. So Exodus 33, that's the first thing. The second thing was mentioning the boiler room. The third thing is, guys, we had a blast yesterday afternoon having you guys come over to our house. Um, We loved getting to connect with you. We got to hear several stories um, about you guys and how you got connected with the church and uh, with one another. And uh, my wife and I were just sitting back after, after all the, the, the hubbuckus of everybody coming and going and, and all the conversations that we got to have. And we just were like, God is so good. And we're so grateful for you guys and that, that, that precious time. So thanks for participating. If you didn't happen to get a chance to sign up for a time yesterday or show up yesterday at all, uh, no worries. Uh, my wife and I have the ambition to come and meet with all of you throughout the next several months. So just Wait your turn, we're making our rounds, okay? So Exodus 33, again, is where I want you uh, in your Bibles this morning. I wanna start off this morning by asking you a question, and I will go ahead and tell you that this question is a very personal one, right? So I, I somebody, I'm somebody who really values transparency, um, not just in church leadership, I value transparency uh, in myself as well. I think that's in line with sincerity, And if I'm going to be transparent, there might be times where I come up before you and I'm just broken. And there might be times where I come up before you and I confess things that are really hard and and a little bit messy, right? Because as human beings, we're we're a bit messy, aren't we? And so this question I'm going to ask you is is actually going to be pretty messy if you you think about it, if you actually are willing to answer it transparently and and with sincerity. And that, that question is this. Do you feel like right now you're just stuck in your walk with Christ, in your being transformed into the image of Jesus? Are you just kind of like going through the motions and and this is the extent of it and you've not really seen any change? You're kind of just, your love kind of has grown cold. Instead of a white hot fire, it's a little simmer. Maybe, maybe it's looking like um, your love for the preciousness of this gathering here has just grown into like obligation to where, oh, I've got to go to church because, you know, that's just the Christian thing to do. And you totally have for, forgotten about how precious this time is and how warm it is for the soul. Or maybe it looks like you've, you've been struggling with the same sins for the past several years and you've not seen any kind of freedom or change in your life. You don't have to raise your hands, but like, this is rhetorical. But like, are you with me on that? Because like, I'll tell you this, I've had seasons like that. I've had seasons even as a pastor where I've, I've felt that. Personal seasons where I slip into this like, subtle simmer 
of, of passion for love and, or, or passion and love for God and instead of what we would rightly think of should be a, a white hot flaming fire. Like, you know, those bonfires where we toss like a hundred pallets on it and it's just like this raging thing about as tall as a ceiling here. You would think our love for God would should be like that and you get all you feel is guilt because it's not that right now. Right? How many of you would say that you're there? You don't have to raise your hands again, but guys, I have to tell you, we all as believers will experience a season like this. We sing about it all the time. One of my favorite hymns, we sing prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. I'm prone to leave the God that I love, right? We, we, we sing that, we, we acclaim this idea that there are seasons in our lives where we kind of grow cold in our love for God. And so I need to tell you something this morning, and this is a phrase that I'll say kind of often, and I hope it's okay, but let me tell you guys, if that's you, it's okay to not be okay. Like, it's okay to not be okay. Right? As, as human beings, there's going to be seasons of brokenness and doubt and fear and frustration and anger and complacency. It's okay to not be okay. I, I will say it's not okay to stay there. But guys, it, it, we have to give ourselves the grace to say to one another, hey, let me bear this burden with you. It's okay to not be okay in that way. Right? And that's, that's what makes church so beautiful when we're willing to extend that grace to one another. It's okay to not be okay. It's just not okay to stay there. Guys, it's okay to have these kinds of seasons, but it's not okay to stay in those seasons because we wage war to fight for love for God sometimes, but we never settle for complacency. So the question that we have to ask is, what do we do if we find ourselves in that situation or in that kind of season in our walk with Christ? What do we do? How do we like wake up as a church? How do we wake up our souls to the Lord? Like how, how, how can how, how, how can we find the catalyst? What is the catalyst that would take a simmering flame and make it into this white hot fire? What is it? Guys, I'm gonna tell you, based on our answer in our study in the last two weeks, the answer is simply this. It's a glimpse of glory. That's, that's why we're, we're, we're titling this, this series is that it's seriously a glimpse of God's glory that will literally wake up the dead soul and keep the living soul walking in love with him. Guys, we, we talked about last week how in 2 Corinthians 3, we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord as in a mirror, are being transformed into that same image that we're looking at, right? We are being transformed. So by beholding the glory of God, we are radically changed by God into that which we're looking at because we become what we behold, right? So contemplating on, reflecting on, encountering and meditating on, lingering by the fire of God's glory is what transforms us into the image of Christ himself. And Christ loved God perfectly and never grew cold or dim in his love for God. So that's what we're after, right? So this, 
This, if, if we're actually as a church, as an individual, going to experience any kind of revival of the soul, revival of the church, revival in the community, if we're going to wake up, it's going to have to be because we see a fresh new glimpse of the glory of God every time. So that fact alone ought to convict us of the things that we are looking at and what we're not looking at the things that we are trying to behold and the things that we aren't trying to behold, but it should also then refocus our attention. So at the end of last week, I explained to you, this is, this is why we're gonna be going into the character of God or to the glory of God, because ultimately I, I, I believe that we all at every season of life have available for us every grace that's needed to be revived yet again, to be renewed into a new image of Christ in every part of our lives. And so, This is exactly what we're going to do starting today and ending like in October, (laughs) right? We're going to be starting on this sermon series called A Glimpse of Glory. Again, I preach in series. I don't just preach random sermons every Sunday. Sometimes I will, but most often it's a continual thought for a long time. And, And we're literally just going to be talking about the glory of God and Exodus 33 and Exodus 34 are going to be our passages for the next several months. So you're going to get to know this story really well, which is, which is the best way, I think, to, to, to understand. It's short passages over a long time. And so we're going to go after a glimpse of glory. We are going to try to seek out a glimpse of the glory of God. And the question that we all need to ask ourselves is, where, where do we start in this? Where do we begin? Well, the answer we start by asking. That sounds trivial. That sounds like really low. Like, uh, that's not really that in-depth, Scott. <laughs> You're not like Joe, man. Come on. I know I'm not like Joe. He's like, Whew. anyways. We start by asking, guys, some of the best things that come in our life start with a question, right? My marriage started with me asking. My walk with Christ started with me asking. The best things in life come by just starting to ask. So let me set up the scene of where we are in Exodus 33. I'm assuming that most of you know it, but for those of you who don't, I want to explain some of the context. We're thinking of the biblical character of Moses, right? Like uh, Luke brought him up earlier. Moses is this guy who was called by God to lead Israel out of slavery uh, to Egypt. And God does some incredible things. You know, the 10 plagues crash down onto Egypt. They exodus out of Egypt through what? The Red Sea that God just miraculously parted and they walk across it like on on dry ground. So they get out into the wilderness. Pharaoh's armies are defeated and they're out in the wilderness and God's Glory, his presence descends on top of this mountain, Mount Sinai, and they get to go up. Moses actually gets invited by God to go up to the top of the mountain and sit in God's presence. And it's in that time where Moses receives the old covenant, right? The the Old Testament that we often read through. We we read through Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, and then we get like in our reading plans, and that's usually the part where we bail out because we're like, Leviticus is so hard, Right? But that's the law, and that's what Moses received from God on top of the mountain. And while he's up there, you guys remember the story, right? He's up there. What's happening down at the bottom of the mountain in Israel? They are doing what humanity does really best. Forgetting about the things that God has done in their life, making their own idols and worshiping them. 
We're really good at doing that. And so they are, they are pretty much committing treason even after they literally just saw God say, all right, here, ocean, whoop, <laughs> right? Like how, huh. man, I wish our hearts weren't that fickle. They literally just saw God do these impossible things to rescue them out of slavery. And they're already melting down all their gold and they're fashioning it together to make a calf. And they're bowing down to this dead, not living golden calf and saying, you're the one who led us out of Egypt. Like that, ooh, makes you feel disgusting when you think about it, right? But that's us, that's humanity. And so Moses catches wind from the Lord. He goes down the mountain with these two tablets that he had just received. He sees them doing this and he just shatters the tablets because they had already broken the covenant. It wasn't even a day. <laughs> They'd gotten these, these covenant and they were already, already breaking it. He shatters this and, and, and there's civil war in Israel. And Moses goes back up the mountain to go back before the Lord and, and try to intercede on behalf of, of the treasonous kingdom of Israel. And God, at the beginning of Exodus 33, promises that he's going to keep his end of the covenant despite this. He says, yeah, you're going to go into the land. I'll lead you there. I'll actually, I'll actually purge out all your enemies. All your enemies will be defeated before you. I'm going to make you prosper. But I myself will not go with you. So guys, this is literally a question of, do you want God's gifts or do you want God? And how does Moses and Israel respond? They're devastated. When God says, I'm not gonna go with you, I'll keep mine to the covenant, what I promise you, you'll get the promised land, you'll get all the blessing that comes there, but you're not gonna have me going with you. That devastates them. Moses is irked by that news. And that's where we pick up. That's where we pick up. In Exodus 33, verse 15, Moses says, if your presence does not, sorry, if your presence does not go, Moses responded to him, don't make us go up from here. How will it be known that I and your people have found favor with you unless you go with us, unless you actually are Emmanuel, right? I and your people will be distinguished by this from all other people on the face of the earth. Verse 17, the Lord answered Moses, I will do this very thing you have asked for you have found favor with me and I know you by name. And then we get to our main verse for the morning. Verse 18, then Moses said, please let me see your glory. That's all we're getting to right now. We're gonna keep going in the next several weeks through the rest of this, but we're stopping there and we're gonna ponder the significance of that question. And we're actually gonna break it down into three parts. The assent to this request, the greatness of this request, and the mystery of this request. So let's see if we can start with the assent to this request. Guys, think about Think about the context. 
Israel like royally just messed up. They screwed up terribly, didn't they? They did something that was treasonous. Like they committed treason against God. They were supposed to be God's chosen people. And they were like totally ignoring God. They threw him off and they said, here's a golden calf. We're gonna worship this. Guys, that's literally starting on this new journey with God at the lowest point possible. You can't get any more wretched than that, right? And from there, you can literally track from Moses asking God to forgive Israel of that sin in Exodus 32. You can track that all the way to this question. And there's this sense of like this growing faith and growing favor with God. So the first request Moses asks is forgive this people, forgive us. And then he moves into this, show me your ways. And then he moves into Keep your presence with us. And then finally, we're at the peak of it all. He says, no, please show me your glory. There's this growing sense of faith and favor. Think about it. Think about it. I mean, hadn't hadn't Moses already seen God's crazy glory? Hadn't he already seen it like multiple times? Didn't he see it in like this burning bush that didn't like actually burn? Didn't he see it in the 10 plagues? Didn't he see it in the parting of the Red Sea and the defeat of the, of the army of Egypt? Didn't he see it in the glory on the top of the mountain? Didn't he see it in the tabernacle when he literally got to go in and talk to God face to face? Didn't he already see God's glory? So, so is, is Moses' tone here like, okay, God, I know you can like destroy armies and like topple nations. What else can you do? Come on. Is that his heart? You think that's it? No, <laughs> no, no, definitely. That's definitely not it. It's not like he's saying, all right, God, that wasn't enough. I need more. No, Moses already had tastes of the glory of God. And it was so sweet and so awesome and so transformative that he said, all right, that was enough. And I want more. That was sufficient for me. And I'm begging God, I want more of this. It's so satisfying. It's so awe-inspiring in Moses that he wants greater and greater tastes of the glory of God. You see, when you and I start out on this journey of like getting after seeing the glory of God, catching glimpses of his glory, a lot of us with our finite minds think that it's a limited journey that you're finally gonna get to the end of it and be like, all right, well, I got enough. I got it all. There's no more to explore. Uh Uh-uh, not with God's glory. His glory is limitless. So in other words, you will never truly exhaust the glory of God as you set out on the journey to experience the glory of God. You'll never get tired of him. As you experience the glory of God, he'll never be boring to you. He will always be so satisfying and awe-inspiring. He'll never get drab or disappointing. This is what David said in in Psalm 17, right? He says, as for me, he's talking about when he's over the Jordan, when he's in that promised land in heaven with God, I shall behold your face in righteousness. When I awake, I shall be what? Satisfied with your likeness. In other words, heaven is, is literally 
being fully satisfied by the full glory of God forever. When we get to heaven and behold God's glory, we're going to find that it satisfies everything in our soul. And every glimpse of God's glory that we get right now is like a simple oasis that revives the soul on this journey through this desert called life. So every every glimpse of God's glory that Moses already had up to this point literally can be topped. So that's another thing that I think we have to think about when we're setting out on this journey. Guys, every glimpse that you get is not God saying, all right, that's all I got. I don't have any more. In other words, every time you ask the Lord, show me your glory, you can expect even greater glimpses every time throughout your whole life to, the, to eternity. So when you're praying in your prayer time and you're asking the Lord, God, like what you showed me yesterday, what I got to see about you and about your glory was amazing and it satisfied my soul. It was enough for me because you, God, are enough for me. And I believe, God, that today when I ask, like, show me your glory, I believe that you can multiply that by 60 or 100 fold today because you are limitless in your glory. So God, would you help me experience that? You can, you, there's always greater glory to behold. You'll never run out of it. You'll never get to the end of it. And so that's, that's the first part, just the simple ascent to this request, please, God, show me your glory. Then we're going to get to this second part, which is the greatness. Can you say the greatness? One, two, three. The greatness of this request. Guys, can you think of a greater thing you could ever ask of God? Can you, can you imagine something even better than you could ask God of this, right? Like if you're in your prayer time with the Lord and you're communing with God, and you're wrestling with God, I don't, I don't know what to ask. I want, you to ask, I want to ask the best, greatest thing that I could ever ask you. What comes to mind for you? I know some of you, it's, it's been, man, God, would you give the Washington football team a better name than what they just came up with? Like for some of you, that's been your greatest request. No, guys, there, there, there is no higher request than what we can make in this petition. There's nothing greater. If you can't believe me, then maybe you'll believe Charles Spurgeon. This is what he said. He said, oops, went too far. This prayer contains a greater amount of faith than all the others put together. It is the greatest request that man could make to God. Amongst the lofty peaks and summits of man's prayers that rise like mountains to the skies, this is the culminating point. This is the highest elevation that faith ever gained. It is the loftiest place to which the great ambition of faith could climb. It is the topmost pillar of all the towering structures that confidence in God ever piled. Why? Because seeing God's glory is what we were made for and seeing God's glory is what we were saved for. It's literally the reason why we live as Christians is to behold the glory of God. Guys, you and I were made for glory, 
not that we would simply be glorified, but that we would behold glory. Guys, you, we were made to experience awe, right? I mean, you, you know that, you know that feeling. You've experienced it yourself. Our hearts long to see it. Let me, let me kind of prove this to you. So let's, let's just say uh, I went to the Dollar General store and, and got a little like five foot kiddie pole that was about this big and I set it up out in the parking lot and I, and I got it ready to go, filled it up with water, maybe even a little bit of bubbles and some toys and I, I took a picture of it and I sent out an invitation to everyone in the world to say, hey guys, I've got this kiddie pool. Come vacation. We've got a parking lot. You can park your RV here. We've got a whole church you could sleep in. Literally just come, come enjoy this kiddie pool that I've put together for you. Who in the world do you think would come? Not a single person, except maybe my own kids. Why? Because we don't go on vacation at kiddie pools. We go on vacation at large beaches. We go out to Virginia Beach and we sit there and we stand in awe and we're like, wow, this makes me feel small. And that feeling is really good. We, guys, do you, think, do you think people are gonna sign up on a list of, uh, a, a, a sign-up list for, for me to push them around on a tricycle in the parking lot? Or do you think they're gonna ride over to King's Dominion and go on these crazy rides where they feel the exhilaration? Right? Do, you think, do you think if I were to take a, a little shovel and dig a little hole out there and maybe a little trench for a few feet, do you think I can invite people to come stand in awe of that trench? Or are they gonna go to Grand Canyon and stand in awe of that? Right, guys, you and I, we were literally made for glory. We were made to behold great glory. God instilled that into our hearts. And the reason why he put that into our DNA is because he's pointing ultimately to himself as the most glorious treasure. You were made for glory and you will find the satisfaction of that desire in God ultimately alone. But not only is, is God's glory and the beholding of God's glory what we were made for, it's also what we as Christians were saved for, right? Think about it. When, when, uh, so another theologian, actually, uh, John Owens, I would recommend his books to you. He said that unless you and I learn how to behold the glory of God, we're not actually living a truly Christian life in this world. Right? Why? Because in longing to see God's glory, we are really saying that we want to know God more intimately, right? And the only way that you and I can actually have intimacy with God is through the person and work of Jesus. Guys, the, the, the death and the resurrection of Jesus wasn't just simply to save us from sin, it was to save us to God, to be back in restored relationship with God, right? So we were saved for the purpose of experiencing the glory of God. And so when you and I ask, show me your glory, we're literally asking, God, would you show me your beauty and how lovely you are and how worthy and how holy, which we're gonna talk more about what that really means next week. But guys, we were made for and saved for experiencing the glory of God. It's literally the purpose of the Christian today. And whenever I say, Experience, like you might think I'm pulling that, that, that word out of the hat somewhere, 
That's actually what the word show me means. So if you write in your Bibles, when, when, when Moses says, please show me your glory, that word show isn't just simply like a movie, the, like a movie theater, right? Let's go enjoy the show. No, it actually, it, elsewhere, it's translated as experience. It's translated as to cherish. It's translated as to take pleasure in and to enjoy. Let me see your glory. Let me experience it to the point of satisfying my soul. So guys, Moses isn't just asking, cause me to know what your glory means intellectually. He's literally asking, let me experience your glory to the point where my soul is satisfied to the other most by you. You see, guys, that's, that's one of the distinctions that I think we ought to make, especially in church, is that too many of us get to a point in our relationship with Christ where it's not relationship, it's just head knowledge. It's, not, it's more about what we know about God than actually knowing God. We, we know more about God than we've experienced God as a friend and a father. Right? We have an incredibly good father and not too many Christians have actually experienced him as that. They just know him as that. So that's, that's the thing. We've got to press on into this relationship where we experience God to the point where our soul's affections are stirred for him. And it starts with asking this greatest request that we could ever ask of God. Please, God, would you show us your glory? And this is going to lead me to the third part in this morning. And that's simply the mystery. Can you say the mystery? One, two, three. The mystery. Good. It's the mystery in this request. Guys, you know, there's some questions that you ask and you just don't know what you're going to get. I feel like Moses with that. Do you think Moses had a clue what he was, what he was gonna get when he asked this request? Do you think Moses had any idea how God would respond if he would respond? There's a lot of mystery here, right? And Moses is willing to embrace that. There's a ton of unknowns behind this request, but he's still like full sinned, went for it. I admire this about Moses. You know why? Because you and I as human beings, we are prone to staying in the places that we know well with the people that we know well. We don't like mystery. The only kind of mystery that we like are in those novels called mystery novels. We don't like when there's mystery around our lives. We don't like mystery in our circumstances. We got to know. That's why we got Google. Right? We don't, we don't, we're not okay with mystery. We usually just pull out Google and say, all right, what's the answer to this? Because we're not okay with the mystery until we can finally find the answer. Let me prove it to you. So you know how, <laughs> you know how in like fifth grade when the PE coach would say, hey, we're playing dodgeball today, which again is one of my favorite sports. You can't find a greater sport than dodgeball. And he'd say, all right, we got two captains. I'm picking you and you. You guys are captains. The rest of you line up on the wall and the captains are going to draft you to their team. And you, you know, you're, you're like either, I don't know. I was not often chosen at the cast, the captain. I would often be drafted first or second because of my height. I don't know why. Tall people are terrible targets for dodgeball. But you're in the line, and, and usually there's like two kids left. Who usually gets picked after the least athletic kid in that line? It's the new kid. Think about it, right? The least athletic kid, you actually know that he's not athletic. So yeah, yeah you can come on my team. I don't know a thing about you, so you got to stay there. You can get on the other team because you're new, right? We're uncomfortable with new things. We don't like mystery. We like what we know and we stick with what we know. 
But no, when, when God invites us in to seeing his glory and we ask the Lord, God, would you show me your glory? You and I, you and I have to be willing to embrace the limitless unknowns about the glory of God as well as our inability to be able to comprehend an incomprehensible God with our feeble and finite minds. Now, did you hear me use the words limitless unknowns? Again, that's tying back into what we learned earlier is that there's no limit to the glory of God. Yeah, I say it because God's glory has no boundaries. You're never going to get to the end of God's glory and say, oh, I found the end. Like, like flat earth people, like, oh, we got to the end of the earth, we found it. Nope, you'll never find it, because it's a sphere. Sorry if anybody actually believed that the world's still flat. Sorry to crash your bubble. Guys, no, there, there are always new things to explore in the glory of God. So if you started believing the lie that this is just going to be a boring sermon series or a boring topic because God's glory, like, what is it? And like, who cares anyways? And then, then we're not going to do well in this. But guys, if you're willing to say, all right, I, I, I realize that I know enough to know that I don't know that much. Oh, I need people to be able to say that. I know enough to know that I don't know that much. And I'm willing to endure the awkwardness of embracing the mystery of God's glory. And I will full send my life into the experience of that. So this right here, this request is where you and I always need to start our journey out with our heavenly father every day even coming before God saying dad I would love to just see your glory today would you please show it to me as catching a glimpse of glory can radically transform us. And here's the other part of this. If God is going to show up, if God is going to say, yes, he's got to make that choice. It's not on us. We can ask all day long, but if God's going to show us his glory, it's going to be because he wills it. It's because he chooses to do it. You cannot earn a glimpse of God's glory, right? You don't have to do some tribal dance around some fire somewhere, right? You don't have to go travel to some temple over in the Middle East to find God. You don't have to literally earn his glory, a sighting of his glory by your good works and pleasing deeds. That's not how God works. That's not his currency. That's not the economics of heaven. It's because he's sovereign and can choose to show us his glory if he desires we just have to ask. And here's the best part of all of this. God loves to show off. God loves to show his glory. Guys, this whole book is literally a narrative, a single narrative of how God is increasing his glory among the nations. And one day his glory will fully cover the earth. We literally just sang about it earlier. Isaiah 60 is one of my favorite passages, promises. He says that the glory of the Lord shines over you. The Lord will shine over you. His glory will appear 
over you. Guys, God loves to show his glory to those who truly seek it with humble hearts. He loves to show off his glory. He loves to answer this request. And so with that, guys, I, I, I need you. I need you to look at your own walk with Christ, at your own dialogue with him, at what you're talking about with him, what you bring before him in your prayer request. I'm gonna imagine that, that the seriousness and the greatness of this kind of request isn't something that often is, is coming up in your own prayer life. What often we do is we, we, we um... all right, God, I've got this list. Right here, it's like 50 things long. I just need you to take care of this. We come with our grocery list of prayer requests and, 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 we, and we just want God to, to change our circumstances or, or, or fix our problems. I'm, I'm imagining that not many of us have put a priority on making this single request as the highest petition, as the greatest Petition as the most repetitive petition that you ever make of God in your prayer time. And, and, the, and even praying for our gatherings on Sunday morning, like are we coming before the Lord saying, God, I would love to just see you do something to fix this problem in my life and then I'll go. Or are we saying, God, we wanna see your glory as we show up here. So what is it that you're praying for? What, is the, what are the things that are on the top of your list? I want to ch challenge you that every time, every time that you go into your prayer time with the Lord, even if it's on the go or if it's you've been fasting for three days and you're in your, in your prayer war room and you're going before the Lord and you've been in there for hours, regardless, I want every time that you pray, to start and end with God, I want to see your glory every time. And when you do, I promise you, there will be this drastic shift in your life. I think Tim Keller in his book called Prayer, which I really strongly commend, he said this about this request and the idea of this request becoming our own request. It means a kind of prayer in which we are not simply coming to God to get his forgiveness, his help for our needs, his favor and blessing. Next slide. Sorry, I've got the notes right here. You guys don't. Rather, the consideration of his character, words, and work on our behalf becomes inherently satisfying, enjoyable, comforting, and strengthening. And eventually, the beauty of the glory of God captures our imaginations and dominates every waking thought of our day and fills our heart with longing and desire. Because if God's glory doesn't do that, I promise you, something else will. So I just, again, want to bring before you, are you relying on God just to simply fix your problems and change your circumstances. Right? Instead of that, I would challenge you to just simply say, God, would you just show up and show your glory?
It's like when your when your kid is in the ICU and things are not looking good, and you're on your knees before the Lord, and you're saying, "God, I, I I give my son to you. He's yours to do with as you will. I, I just want to see your glory in this." Or when the doctor calls and they give you the worst diagnosis for your test that you could have imagined, the diagnosis that you were praying against, and you just go before the Lord with your anger, but then you say, God, all right, all right, all right. Would you just show me your glory? Because I'd rather see that. I think I'll be more satisfied with that than you fixing my problem. When When your account when your account shows that you're not going to be able to pay the next month of bills. You go before the Lord. You say, God, <laughs> I'm going to trust you. I, I, I just want to see your glory here. I'd rather see that than a few more zeros behind the numbers in my account. <laughs> Even when you're you've clocked out from work, and you're just cruising on the way home. And even if there's a family or a wife or a husband waiting for you at home, or if you're heading home to a lonely house, in either way, God, uh, I'd love to, I saw your glory at work. God, would you just show me your glory even now in the routine of my life? Brothers and sisters, this is where it starts. This is where this journey begins. God, would you show us your glory? And so right now, I, I, I want to close out our time with a time of, of reflection, of response even. Because I, I, I do believe just like, just like I am experiencing my own levels of conviction, I'm not the only one. I do believe, I do believe that some of us are feeling convicted by God's spirit for how we've handled our prayer life, for the things that we've treasured over God, where we've wanted the healing more than the healer, where we've wanted his saving more than the savior, right? The gift more than the gift. And yet I believe that we can bring that before the Lord, confess that and say, God, I just, I just want to show, I want to see your glory. Would you show up in this way? Dad, we do come before you now because you are a good father and you've made a way for us as sinners to enter into your presence through the gift of your son, Jesus Christ, who considered his own glory, not something to be plundered or held onto, but put it aside, taking on the form of a human being, the form of a servant, and went to the cross, considering not his own interest, but the interest of others. And he died a brutal death for us in our place. All so that we could be with you and see you 
as good and behold you as all glorious. So God, I pray for us. I pray for everyone in here that you would cause us to be transformed by glimpses of your glory. God, I pray that every day this week, every person in here would experience a glimpse of your glory, whether that's in a simple note from another believer or whether it's gonna be this drastic fire from heaven falling. Whatever it is, God, I pray, if it's, a, if it's a whisper or a storm, whatever it is, God, I pray that we would catch glimpses of your glory and so be changed and be transformed to look like Jesus because God, we really wanna be like him. Bless our church family with glimpses of your glory every time we get together as a church family so that we would be changed, we would be revitalized, we would be renewed and sent out for the glory of your name among all the nations. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. If you guys would stand, I'd love to pray for you as you go. Guys, I'm so blessed by you. And so let me bless you with number six yet again. May the Lord bless you and keep you all. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace, both now and in the world that is coming. God bless you. I love you. Lord willing, we'll see you next week. We hope this message helps you multiply faithful followers of Jesus Christ. For more information about our church, please visit waynesboroughfm.com.